Hello, and welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast for those curious about the non-finance aspects or the human side of working in accounting and finance. I'm Susan Nicriazon, and while I believe there is beauty in balancing a set of financial statements, the intricacies that underpin the workings are wondrous. The real beauty for me is in working with people. The intricacies that underpin our workings are wondrous too. And not one particular combination of input or formula will ever generate the same result. Join me and my guests as we place a lens on some of these wondrous intricacies that make us unique. And as we share insights, knowledge and strategies to inspire your life beyond the numbers. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by John Haynes. Welcome, John. Thank you, Susan. Hi. Hi. It's great to have you here. So, John, I recently read Dan Pink's book, To Sell is Human. Great and book. It is, isn't it? It's a great yeah, book. I read it a couple of years ago. Loved it. Yeah. And I think one of the things that struck me most out of that book is that he says that people tend to spend 40% of their working life engaged in non-sales selling. So persuading, influencing, and convincing others in ways that don't involve anyone paying for anything or making a purchase. And in one of the roles I did, I didn't manage anyone, but I really had to have influence without authority. Now, influencing is something you give a lot of thought to. And your unique approach comes from working as a magician. Tell us more. Yeah, you know, that is very true. I've been a magician since I was six years old, professional, not, not from six years old, professional for about 25, just over 25 years. And influence is a huge part of magic, influencing where people look, what they think, what they think of you. And it's not just the show, it's from your first contact with people when they see you on the website, your contacts with them on the phone, uh, when you turn up at a gig, before the show, all the way through your tricks, and then afterwards as well. So influence is a huge part. And the Dan Pink book, the reason I loved it so much was I've always had this phobia, this fear of selling, feeling I'm not a salesperson. I'm not pushy, you know, slick suit, smart, sharp. Stereotype. Yeah. And I, and I thought, I'm no good at sales because I saw people who were like that I thought I could never be like them, but I'm running a business. I need to be able to sell stuff. Mm. And I read Dan Pink's book and I went, as you said, 40% of people are involved in non-sales selling. I suddenly went, oh, I'm doing most of this stuff he talks about already. And to sell is human, as he says in the title. And I'm doing it. Um, I'm doing 90% of it already. So I actually wrote a whole series of blog posts because when I was reading it, I was reflecting on it and relating it to my life. And I wrote a whole series of blog posts on why a sales meeting is exactly like a children's party. <laughs> and why is that? I'm not going to cover the whole five blog posts. But... No, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Give us the, get the headlines. Damping's big three things are attuning, buoyancy and clarity. And attuning is working out where people are at, working out what they're feeling, but more important, what they're thinking and what their problems are. So, for example, for a a children's party parent when they're thinking about running their party they immediately think i need a magician 
but actually I know that probably they need a stress-free party, they need the kids to be occupied, they need their friends to be impressed, and they need something memorable, which mm. is not exactly the same as just getting a magician. Mm. So it's working out what they need, what their problem is, and how you can solve it. So that's the tuning bit. In terms of buoyancy, that's the ability to bounce back when you have a negative thing go on. And that can happen in the middle. I mean, there's no audience tougher than a 25, six-year-old's. <laughs> Actually, there is. There's a bar mitzvah audience of uh, 12 and 13 year old boys Ooh. who only job is to catch you out and probably a couple of them are experts at magic themselves that's the hardest audience but you have to be able to you know take a knock a heckle a cheeky comment not take it personally and carry on and that's the same with sales you know you've got to be able to take the rough with the smooth and i love the fact that dan pink talks about you don't want 50 50 rough stuff compared to positive experiences i think he goes for sort of 70 30 something like that you know yeah. positive to negative yeah. you don't want all positive either you've got to have some negative that you can bounce back and you grow and you learn and you carry on and then the clarity as well is being completely clear about again what the client needs and being able to provide that it's pretty simple stuff but it is yeah, 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 yeah. we tend not to think like that i think we tend to overcomplicate things often John, you've developed a, a magic formula. I have. I was so pleased when I came up with it. <laughs> but maybe just before you tell us about the magic formula to doing business, tell us a little bit about life as a magician or entertainer. Yeah, well, I, as I said, I started with my Paul Daniels magic set. And I don't know, I'm guessing the demographic of your audience will be split between those who remember Paul Daniels and those who don't. I remember Paul Daniels. You remember Paul Daniels. That's great. Many people do. Not a lot, but some do. That's his catchphrase. Yes. <laughs> I had my Paul Daniels magic set and I did my own, I did a magic show at my own sixth birthday with a little cape and a cap and my dad made me a little table and I don't remember it, but there's photos to prove it. Then I got all the books from the Puffin Book Club. There's another indication of how old I am at school. The David Nixon books and the others. Until I was about 11, then I switched on to juggling because a friend of the family from drama school came to stay with the family and he'd done a week on circus skills and clowning. Mm -hmm. And he taught me to juggle. So I started learning to juggle, dropped magic for a bit, got to university, learned fire eating, juggling wow. five balls, how to juggle knives. I did an engineering degree. I might talk about that later. And, but wasn't really into it, but I spent a lot of time doing street theatre, joining the juggling club, sketch drama, that kind of thing. And then after uni, didn't go into engineering, but I started working as a children's worker, but started doing kids parties in my spare time. Mm. I did. I also then went to mime and physical theatre school part time. So my parties were mime, physical theatre, clowning, juggling, fire eating, but no magic. And then after about uh, another 10 years, a mate persuaded me to join the magic circle. So I went for it and got in and then started putting the magic back into the parties and then, you know, started doing grown-up magic as well. And it's gone from there and I'm now chair of the magic circle. And what is the magic circle? The magic circle is the premier magic society in the world. Ooh. About just over 1500 members worldwide. And uh, terrifying audition to get in. You have to do a, a sort of an eight to 10 minute routine in front of about 25 other magicians four of them with clipboards marking you out of 10 for performance and out of 10 for your magic ability. 
of course you're terrified so your hands are shaking and yeah <laughs> the only other thing that was was as stressful was my finals at oxford university that's the only comparison i have to <laughs> but i got in i got in and i've uh, been a member and now I'm, i got on the council and now i'm chairman at the moment fantastic you talked about adult magic what what do you mean by adult, adult magic? magic sounds dodgy Magic for grown-ups. You can't, when you're designing your website, you have to be very careful you don't say adult magic because you get all the research results. <laughs> okay, you get, so grown-up you get magic. Blocked, you get blocked by Google for certain search results. Um, yeah, close-up magic. So magic right in front of you. Card tricks, tricks with borrowed money, borrowed rings, mind reading. In small okay. Yeah. yeah, okay. And so how does magic meet the world of business? Well, apart from sales being like a kid's party and all those lessons you learn about selling yourself and promoting yourself and all that, show business, as I've been told many times by other people and I agree with, is 50% show up, is 50% business. So you've got that aspect to it. But what I've developed recently is the idea of being kind by magic. The, the first president of the magic circle was David Devant. Mm-hmm. And his famous phrase was, all done by kindness which is lovely so the idea of magic is that you're not really trying to put one over on people you're trying to lift them up and trying to make their lives better and that is the bit that i think transforms into business because you could think business is all about being go-getting and winner takes all and i make more money than you and all that but actually it works much better if you feel you're, you're a servant and you're trying to lift people up and do the best for them, put them first. So like kindness as a choice, you know, deciding to put the other person first. And I thought, how do you do that? And I'm, I'm not really a very touchy feely kind of person. So you mentioned, mentioned the words magic and kindness in a sentence and you suddenly feel a bit woo woo and a bit kind of, this is the domain of people who knit their own muesli and meditate in front of a crystal. And I know lots of people who do that sort of thing. And I love them and they're fantastic people, but it's not me. I'm more down to earth, practical, pragmatic. You're an engineer. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, even though it didn't stick, I have got that side to me. And also my value system says that kindness is important, putting the other person is important, but it's a much more a head thing than a heart thing. I suppose what I've done is systematize it. I've said, Nick, how can I create a checklist to check I'm being kind? How can I ask in each situation I find myself in, how can I be magic in this situation? And magic is an acronym. Now I love acronyms. I know someone who says he hates acronyms and everything they stand for. That's not me. I, I love acronyms. And I've come up with magic being an acronym for moving people, mm-hmm. attuning to people, mm-hmm. giving to people, inspiring people and connecting with people. Okay. So moving, attuning, giving, inspiring and connecting that's very cool and it can apply well first of all it applies to yourself which is one you might miss but when you're a leader one of the most important things to do is to lead yourself so there's the first one then it can apply to your team if you're leading a team if you provide any kind of client services whether you're a coach or an accountant or a lawyer or anyone else who has clients it can apply to your clients and even in sales, it can apply to your prospects. Cause you're like moving them towards your results. Well, I think the moving has two aspects to it in my head. There's you can move them emotionally. 
-hmm. so we all know how important storytelling is in communication you know you can communicate things so much more powerfully and people will remember so much more if you communicate in the form of stories and the reason that is is because stories engage our emotions so if there's a way that you can engage your team member or your prospect or your client's emotions for a team member it might be showing them a vision of what could be and getting them excited about it showing them the significance of your mission or showing them how they can be part of something that's important that can move mm -hmm. them emotionally so there's mm -hmm. the emotional side but I, I recently realized there's also an intellectual side you can teach people something so you can um, move them from a state of not knowing something to knowing something so you can educate them excellent yeah that'll move their perspective if you like and their development yeah we can't we've talked about attuning yeah weird words which i nicked from dan pink but yeah. it happily fits in my acronym so i'm keeping it thank you dan <laughs> not that i know him but if he, if he ever listens to this thank you dan that's about understanding your yourself your team member your client or your prospects like the tuning in part yeah because everybody's different we've all had born into different families, we've had different life experiences, different educations, we've read different stuff. We've all been through different things and that's made us all different people. Uh, I'm fascinated by things like Myers-Briggs, uh, the Enneagram. I don't know if you've heard of the Enneagram. No. It's another personality thing invented, I think, by the Sufi mystics. Wow. Thousands of years ago. Then used by the Desert Fathers uh, in early Christianity and it used to be shrouded in mystery because it gave these mystical people the appearance that they could sort of have prophetic ability because they could guess how people were going to think or react to things. It separates people into nine basic types and obviously the subtypes and overlaps and, and whatever, but it identifies your coping mechanisms with life, the things you've built up over your life in order to cope with life. Mm. And it comes up with nine basic types and even knowing that, people cope with life differently or sort of paint a different story about their lives just knowing that one fact suddenly makes you give people a break sometimes or you know, treat them different or you know think okay you're not seeing the map the same way i see the map of the world exactly exactly and there's another one i've come across only slightly which is the disc one which separates oh, people yeah. colors it's quite popular in management and leadership training and i heard a talk about it at the professional speaking association last year but it separates people into red blue yellow and um green, green. Is. yeah green yeah, yeah and that is struck me i mean i'm sure you can go very deep with it but you can also apply it incredibly quickly mm -hmm. you know the way it was presented you can apply it when you're talking to someone for the first time mm -hmm. and get an instant fix on what's the best way to chat to them or write mm -hmm. an email back to them or whatever mm -hmm. So these are all ways of tuning into how people tick and where they're coming from. So that's the importance of attuning. Um, and as far as the tuning to yourself goes, actually there's something else to mention on the tuning to other people. It's the values they have. Even before you go to their personality type, if you can work out what their values are, what's getting them out of bed in the morning, what is the reason they're doing what they're doing and the reason they're reacting why they're reacting, what is important to them. Mm -hmm. That kind of underpins the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And then attuning to yourself is much the same. It's, but it's important to attune to yourself. You have to take time out. This comes into the work-life balance thing. And I call it work-life magic. <laughs> I love it. But it, um, it comes into giving yourself time to reflect 
you know you need to take time out to work out why you tick what's important to you what's motivating me you know am i being motivated by just fear worry anxiety or am i being motivated by a goal i've got or by the values i've got you know why am i doing what i'm doing am i still enjoying it all that stuff you need to take time to tune into yourself mm. Mm. and on i think building reflective habits in to your work and your life is just gold dust mm-hmm. and for me it's essential mm-hmm. and i i've built in so reflective time every morning i do a bullet point journal it takes 10 minutes just a series of questions you know what am i thankful for what did i do yesterday how am i feeling what am i going to do what's my plan for today just doing those is hugely helpful it's just a sort of focus every morning mm. and once a week i'll do a slightly longer reflection i also take myself off kayaking once a week oh lovely just to have some headspace um you know sit on the side of the river cook myself up some lunch and just if it's warm enough, lie on my back and look at the clouds go by just to, you know, think, how am I doing? Is everything in line kind of thing? And then one, then, then there's the idea of, uh, yeah, deep breath out, yeah. take a break. And just instead of just carrying on in a crazy way on the treadmill. And then you can periodically every six months or a year take a bit more time out, whether it's the holiday or actually a retreat where you go away and take a deep dive into what you're doing and why you're doing it. Yeah. But that kind of, attuning to yourself the reflection i think is really important very very and i like uh, there's lots of different ways of doing it there you've suggested which because it's also important for people to find what works for them to attune so on i mean on the journaling years ago i read the artist's way by julia cameron seems like a funny book to be talking on a an accountancy related podcast but it's, it's, it's about life this it's about non-finance non-finance the art of accountancy <laughs> um i won't talk about juggling the books that wouldn't go down well no 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 creative <laughs> accounting jokes please no um but in the artist's way julia cameron it's a great book and i'd recommend accountants to read it actually she suggests artist pages and that is just you get up in the morning and you just write longhand for the two or three sides of A4, whatever comes into your head. Don't worry about it, just splurge. Mm. And it, you think I'll never be able to do it, but once you start, it's hard to stop. It's like and, magic. <laughs> yeah, and what you write down is incredible. It's, you really have to promise yourself that you'll never show anybody. I had a friend whose mum found his artist pages once and he had a bad relationship with his mum and that was a sort of terrible moment but so you have to keep them very confidential you're but, meant to um, destroy them i thought no yeah After, yeah yeah, yeah. It's probably the best idea so i did that for years and it was really useful but it does take a bit of time these days it's much quicker and more organized and i do a bullet point journal which i was inspired by michael hyatt i don't know if you've come across michael no. hyatt he's been he's an american uh leader men- virtual mentor blogger worth looking up he inspired me to do a bullet point journal and it's been really useful because it's achievable and sustainable you know it's only 10 minutes yeah, That's I have a, a journal like that called This Is My Era. And you start okay. your day like that with three things you're grateful for, three goals for the day, an affirmation, and then a reflection at the end of the day. Yeah, brilliant. I've just come across Miracle Mornings, which has a very similar sort of thing. Mm. Yeah. Um, is yours a paper journal? It is. Yeah, it's the only mine on Evernote. But, oh, you know. yeah. Yeah. There's it's supposed to be something very um, cathartic or healing about as well. About, yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. No, I realize that. Yeah. Giving is the next one, John. 
Giving, yes. Well, giving to yourself, again, from the artist's way, there was the idea, she said, you should take yourself on artist dates. <laughs> I love that. You go on a date with yourself and treat yourself. Whether if you like going to museums, take yourself to a museum. My idea of hell, so I don't do that. Bookshops. What, <laughs> bookshops. There you go. Everyone's got something that, well, I suppose my kayaking once a week is my artist date. Yeah, yeah. Another one that I did outside lockdown was to take myself off to a posh hotel in London and buy myself afternoon tea every now and then. Oh, that's lovely. Being scones just by myself. Loved it. Yeah. Um, so do nice things for yourself. In terms of leading your team, while you can give people time, you can give people opportunities. So you can take risks with people. Really interesting because I uh, I came across years ago something that's always stayed with me is the greatest gift you can give anyone is just being there. And yeah. I think that's the kind of the time element, isn't it? It's like sitting non-judgmentally as well with somebody, giving your yeah, attention. Yeah, yeah. Giving your attention, yeah, giving the time. And then mm. giving responsibility. Mm. Yeah. You say, okay, I trust you to do something else. I'm going to give you this responsibility. Wow, there's a lot in giving. And next we've got inspiring. Inspiring. Yeah, well, in your reflection times for yourself, you can ask yourself, what if? Ask yourself the what if questions. I like also the why not question. So sometimes we limit ourselves. Think I could never do that. I'm not that kind of person. I'm not qualified enough for other people. They're more educated than me. They're more trained than me. They're just that type of person. But then you say, why not? Why couldn't I be like them? And often it's like, oh, well, I just need a bit more confidence. I need a bit more training. I need to read a bit more. Maybe I need a qualification, but a lot of the time you don't. And all you need is just to take the next step. But you have to have the space to ask yourself those questions. You do. To be inspiring is something that most leaders would aspire to. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've got to give people a vision of what could be, of what poss what's possible, of um, how they could potentially be involved in it. Going back to Michael Hyatt, he talks about setting goals and uh, three places you can set goals. You can set them in your comfort zone so they're easily achievable. And he says that's... Uh, that's not really any good. They're too easy. You achieve them too easily and it doesn't stretch anyone and then no one grows through it. You can set them in the delusional zone. So they're completely impossible and you'll never reach them. And the trouble with those ones is everyone just gets discouraged. He says you should set them in your discomfort zone. Mm. Your discomfort zone. So they're sort of a little bit more than what you've done before and it won't be easy, but you're you know, pretty sure you can get there. You have to stretch, stretch yourself. And you can yeah. do the same with your team. Yeah, you I like that, the discomfort zone. It just stretches you a bit and you can set that for yourself, but you can also set it for your team. Mm. You mm. can say, look, you can do this. If we work together, we can achieve this or you can achieve this. And you can inspire them in that way. Mm. Brilliant. And then finally, connecting. Connecting. Well, connecting with yourself, again, back to the reflective habits. I think covered that one quite well. Connecting with your team. You can do fun activities together, team building. I teach teams to juggle sometimes, which seems ridiculous. But it gets everyone a chance to relax together and have fun and laugh together. You know, you, people do And parties. mess up. Mess up together and it doesn't matter. Get to know each other. And while people are doing it, they chat to each other as well. 
There's social activities you can do to connect with individual team members. You can talk about shared interests. Uh, you know, once you get to know them, you can start talking about if they've got families, talk about the families. Uh, obviously, you have to tread carefully there at the beginning because you don't know who's got families and who hasn't, but you've got to be sensitive about it. But once you get to know them, you can start asking about the people they live with and even just about how they're doing. If you know they've got something medically wrong with them that they've talked to you about, you can ask them how it's going. And the next time you check in with them, you can say, oh, how you told me about your shoulder. How's that? How is it mm -hmm. now? And, you know, it's mm -hmm. a connection point. That's people you know and work with all the time. You'll be able to do that with your clients to a certain extent. You won't know them quite as well as your team members, depending on how often you work with your clients. But again, you can go a little bit down that line. And then with sales, it's slightly less. You're probably just on the realm of shared interests and share, you know, oh, I, where, where have you been on holiday? And I've been there as well. But it's still making a connection. And actually, connecting comes at the end of magic because that's the way the word is spelt. It's probably the first one you do. Yeah, but that would be Kamaji and it doesn't work. <laughs> so that, that's, you don't have to do moving, attuning, giving, inspiring, connecting in that order or all at the same time. Yeah, the, exactly. It's, it's the acronym that if you can remember that they're the ingredients, the magic ingredients exactly. that you need. Exactly. John, I mean, in the kind of era we're in now, 2020 has been quite different for everyone. Building rapport can be a little bit tr more tricky, maybe, or that connection. So do you have a magic formula for building rapport? Yeah, it is strange. It is strange over Zoom and remotely. I think it's possible. I, so I grew up in a very quiet family. I think probably as a result of that, mostly, I was quite introverted and scared of uh, conversation with new people. My wife used to tease me. I used to be extreme introvert. She used to be extreme extrovert. We've both, over the years we've been married, sort of moved towards the middle. I remember we did a Myers-Briggs test about five years after we were married. And the guy said to my wife that she was so extrovert, she was virtually a psychopath. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> he was kind of tongue-in-cheek but he said I'd never seen anyone this extremely extrovert she couldn't wow. be by herself she had to be with people she's changed immensely since then and, but I have and she used to joke that I used to go to parties and just she'd take me to parties with all her friends and they'd be chatting away and I'd just fall asleep in the corner because <laughs> I'd be exhausted by it now that's not good if you're a close-up magician having to go into parties and you know go up to groups of strangers and the thing that got me over the hump was Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, which Great I book. didn't read for years because I thought it sounded manipulative and I didn't like that idea. But I did eventually read it and I thought, oh, actually, this is gold dust. This yeah. is brilliant. And it's basically, you know, smile at people, think the best of them and ask them about themselves. That's how I'd sum that book up in a nutshell. <laughs> so I started doing it at magic gigs and thought, and it was transformative. It was incredible. I suddenly, and I'd spend, you know, the first five minutes with a new group, not even doing any magic tricks, just talking to them about themselves. And you suddenly got this report. You know, built that bridge, built the rapport, everyone laughing, smiling, friends with each other. And then you could have the trick on top of that. And so it's breaking the ice, I, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I've found since applying the magic formula which I've done to my own conversations and interactions and, uh, you know, working with boards and teams and clients 
is if I can, when preparing for a call, whether it's Zoom or telephone, if I can use that as a checklist and I just write down the move, attune, give, inspire, connect, and just go through and saying, can I move them in any way? Can I attune to them in any way? Can I give to them, inspire or connect with them in any way before the call? And then I try and get all those in. Makes a huge difference. Wow. It builds that rapport, builds that, um, yeah, it sort of sets it up. And somebody could do that for anything, for a meeting with a, their team member, for their boss, whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, that's what I found. It applies to all sorts. So it applies if you're chairing a meeting, if you're having a one-to-one with someone. I found it's really useful for difficult conversations. So I've combined it with, I got from a friend, of a, a colleague, William Buist, who you may or may not know. I know him through the Professional Speaking Association. And he told me the POST acronym post being purpose output structure and timing which is great another universally applicable thing that if you've got a call coming up probably a business call of some sort and you want to not let it drag on forever and you want it to be productive you need to beforehand work out what the purpose of it is what the output you want from it how you're going to structure it and what the timing is and then you need to get that in early in the call not in that formulaic way so that people feel like they've been slotted into a formula. But you say, oh, hi, Susan. I'm just phoning to talk about dot, dot, dot. Um, hopefully what we can establish is dot, dot, dot. There you've got your output. You could say, I've, I've, I've only got 15 minutes. There's your timing. So what I suggest is, shall I go through what I think and then you can tell me what, if you've got any suggestions. There you go. You've got your purpose, output, structure and timing. So that's really useful. If you've got a difficult conversation coming up, then if you combine that with magic, so you go through the magic checklist and you try and get all the points in. It's amazing. I had, so a couple of months ago, I had a call with um, a chap on from the magic circle. And I know that left to himself, he will talk forever. He's one of those people that thinks the more he talks, the more he will convince you he's right. Oh yes. Okay. I know then. Actually, the opposite tends yeah. to happen with me. I just switch off and think you're losing credibility because you're just rambling. But I knew that about him. I also knew he was cross, and I had to set, phone him up to say no for something he'd asked. So, I, all in all, it wasn't stacking up to be a great conversation. No, not one you were looking forward to. No, uh, and I thought this is going to take at least an hour. I did the post and the magic thing. I didn't get all of the magic, but I got three of them and I got all the post ones. The call took 18 minutes and I said no. And at the end of it, he said, John, I fully support you in everything you're doing. Thank you for your, what you're doing. Oh, brilliant. I came off the phone and went, that was amazing. Yeah. And, <laughs> and 18 diff- minutes. Yeah. And it was because I'd applied the post magic. Brilliant. So this stuff really works. <laughs> That's so cool. Thank yeah. you. John, as a performer, speaker, entertainer, I guess you're always on show as such, even when the performance ends. You are in a way. If you're famous, then you're always on show as your, you know, your persona. And paparazzi are following you. Yeah, yeah. And that's why, you know, celebrities walk around with baseball caps and sunglasses on. Tommy Cooper couldn't cope with it. Ah. you know i've talked to people at the magic circle i didn't i didn't know him he was before my time but there are 
older members who knew him and said he hated it. You know, if he was sitting at the bar and someone said, come and do a trick, can you do a trick? And he was not in show mode. He absolutely resented it and hated it. And mm. I am very fortunate. I, I realized some time ago I wanted to be successful as a magician, but not famous, you know, earn enough to live, but not be known by everybody. So I could go anonymous, probably my introverted background that sort of fed into that as well. Having said all that, I did some voice coaching recently with someone called Fiona Brennan Scott. She runs a thing called Bespoken, Bespoken, yeah. and uh, great vocal training. And she came to observe me doing a speech at Dorchester Abbey. So I did the first bit on stilts. This is a family service at Dorchester Abbey for all the people who've been baptized there in, over the years and christened there. So they did it in a big tent next to the abbey. And I wandered around on stilts first, talking to people, which was great. And then uh, I was going to do the sermon slot and do it, illustrating it with magic tricks, which I've done loads of times. And what Fiona said was, while you were on the stilts, interacting with people, fantastic, animated, you know, open face, fantastic. When you were doing the sermon, brilliant. When you were sitting down watching, and I was sitting at the front so everyone could see me, he said, it was like you were frowning. Your eyebrows were knitted together. You were very stern I went really and she didn't say resting bitch face but she might as well have done <laughs> and I was like oh my goodness that is extraordinary and that's not how I'm feeling and that's not how I want to come across when I'm in a meeting all the team or all the board are looking at me thinking I'm violently disagreeing with what's being said or I'm very cross about it and I'm not I'm just in rest mode so I thought can I change this well, one thing that magic tells, tells you, and I've done physical theatre as well, is about muscle memory. You know, you teach yourself muscle memory, your muscles learn to do something, it becomes automatic. <laughs> it's true in all of life. I mean, even if you're not a magician or you're not um, a physical performer, you've learned to walk. Yeah. You've learned to eat with a knife and fork. If you're, if you're, I mean, take, yeah, eating knife and fork in the West and chopsticks in the East, you know, you've learned that, that's your muscle memory. Mm -hmm. So I thought, what's controlling my facial expression is muscles. So it must be possible to retrain them. So what I did was, <laughs> in my early morning dog walk where I meet very few people, I decided I'm going to retrain my muscles and I'm going to push it extremely the other way. So I would walk around Christchurch Meadow in Oxford with my eyebrows as high as possible to get rid of the nip between them and a slight smile, slightly overdone smile. And... Um, my face ached for the first two weeks, <laughs> but it's actually become my resting face. And oh, that's... an amazing thing I've noticed from it is walking through town, whereas people would used to sort of get out of my way and say, sorry, sir. They'd now smile and say hello. Oh, that's lovely. There's more kindness going into the world. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gosh, a smile goes a long way, doesn't it? Yeah, and I've, I also changed my outlook on other people so whereas before I'd sort of view not consciously but it was just my natural tendency was to view other people as competitors mm -hmm. you know we're all fighting our way through life trying to survive survival of the fittest kind of and that's not my nat from my belief system it's just how I'd well, society does that a little bit 
yeah 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 and whenever i went to a motorway service station i'd be looking at other people and thinking oh look how you're dressed or look what you're eating or you know and i'm doing better than you that kind of attitude once i changed my resting face it changed my outlook on other people Amazing. So instead of seeing them as competitors, I started seeing them as fellow travellers through life and everyone's got their struggles and we're all coping in different ways. That kind of, just a little shift in outlook. Lovely. It was quite extraordinary. Yeah. Wow. Simple. Yeah. Not, none of this stuff is rocket science. No, not rocket it's not. Surgery. But just because it's simple doesn't mean it's always easy to do, I guess. And that's, you know, it's the practice and being around. conscious of it, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Work-life magic Fabulous. What is your secret, John? How have you managed to have your work life be magic? I think the one of the most helpful things I heard about work life balance was don't think of it as a static balance. Think of it more like a tightrope walker, um, which is moving forward, a tightrope walker moving forwards. And they don't keep the balance pole or whatever they're using to balance in one place they're always shifting depending on you know where things are moving and it was the same at my physical theater school we had to spend ages learning to balance on our toes and it's really hard to keep it static you have to constantly shift slightly and i think it's the same in your work in your life you can't arrive at a point where it's perfectly balanced and that will be good forever it's a dynamic thing. Sometimes you'll have to do more work hours. Sometimes you'll have to give more time to your family or to looking after yourself or whatever. Um, I think the important thing is to be conscious of it and yeah, be realizing you're going to have to constantly adapt it. The other thing that's been really important is coming back to values. I've been married for 27 years. And I remember something we established very early on was a set of values. What are, the, what are our priorities? You know, what are the most important things? And it, it's, it might be looking after yourself first in the idea that you can't throw a life belt to someone else if you're also drowning. Mm-hmm. The put whole the, put your mask on first. Yeah, the old airline, put the yeah. mask on yourself first before helping someone else. So make sure you're healthy and, you know, fit and, and not overtired and whatever. Then it might be family, if, you're, if you've got a family. If you're religious, God will come in there somewhere. Probably a bit higher up than that, depending on your beliefs. And then you've got your work might come next. So work might be fourth on the list. But so many people go through life as if work's number one. Mm. Mm. So you've got your value system. If you get that sorted out, and, and your value system directly translates into what you give time to. Mm-hmm. And if you're controlling your own diary, which we all do to a greater or lesser extent. It then translates in how much time do you give to different things? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you come across the image of putting rocks and stones and sand into a jar. Yes. Yeah. I love that. that yeah. if, if you think about the rocks being the really important things, you know, kids, birthdays, weddings, anniversaries, family holidays, that kind of thing then the stones are slightly less important things. Well, there might be things about looking after yourself, exercise, reflection time, or important work meetings, that kind of thing. And then the sand is just all the other stuff that comes in, you know, the hundred emails you get every day or whatever, most of which are not that important. 
the trouble is if you fill up if you put the sand in first then there's no space to fit anything else in if you put the big rocks in first then there's a bit of space in between them you can put the little rocks in it'll fill up some of that space and then you can the sand will fill up the gaps mm. so it's I a great analogy because you can really it. picture that yeah and you, but it has come has to come from you deciding what are the big rocks in my life what is important and what you know and how am i going to structure my values and how's mm. that going to translate into into time mm. it's all about what what's important to you and and making time for that like you said time is finite but we yeah. can decide how to spend that time rather than time dictating and you know people say oh i don't have time for that i actually think it often means they don't want to make time for it because if you want to make time for something you tend to yeah once once you i think an important part of that is realizing that you have agency in your mm. own life that you are not completely dictated to by those around you or by the world or by expectations so i i <laughs> When uh, I, I love baked beans, you, uh, don't worry, stay with them. me. You'll see <laughs> where we're going with this. I love baked beans, grew up eating baked beans, developed this sort of almost passion for them. But my wife hates them, always has done, like you. And I'm ashamed to say at the beginning of our marriage, you know, 27 years ago, she did most of the food shopping. And because oh, she hates baked beans, she never bought them, never thought to buy them, didn't even want to go near them. So I didn't get baked beans for years. And I mean, now I do most of the food shopping, but hey, life's changed. I am, um, there did come a point where I suddenly realized, oh, and this is about 15 years into our marriage, I could buy my own baked beans. That's brilliant. I love it. <laughs> it's just brilliant. It's and, so uh, true. Yeah, but the, I mean, and that is a trivial example, but I mentioned my engineering degree. I have never been an engineer. I was an all-rounder at school. I remember my careers advice when I was sort of, I think you have your first careers interviews when you're about 14, don't you? And you say, what O-levels do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to be a graphic, an, an advertising artist, graphic designer. Um, and then A-levels, I wanted to do art. And they said, oh, well, take the sciences to fall back on. Yeah. And it was a secondary school. They wanted science results. It made them look good. So I got funneled into science a levels which i could do i mean i was a, yeah as i said i was an all-rounder and they ended up going to do an engineering degree and didn't really get on with it but i'd always had this sense a real sense of loyalty and sticking with stuff and duty mm. which mm. is good because that can get you through tough times if you're doing something valuable mm -hmm. and you hit a rough patch then loyalty and duty and you know a sense of commitment can get you through it but what i've since realized is that doesn't mean you stick at something when it's not working or it's not you totally um, yeah and so i think with hindsight which is always a great thing i should have in my first year switched to another course like english or history or psychology or something that i would have enjoyed and got more much more out of but i didn't out of my sense of um I must yeah. do this. I've I must do this and see it through. Yeah, I've committed. My, my son, who's now a 22-year-old son, is a portrait painter. He's done two courses where 
he hasn't finished them. One, because he didn't get on with them. And he said, I just don't get on with this. I'm leaving. And they said, you can't leave. And he says, well, I'm leaving. And he just did it. And another one where he said, okay, you've taught me as much as you're going to teach me. I now want to go on with the next stage. And they said, but you haven't finished the course. And he said, tough, I'm going. And wow. he did it. And he's doing amazing stuff now. And I, I've sort of been inspired by my own son in that way. Because I think I never had the courage to do that. But I can see it was completely the right thing for him to do. But also you've encouraged that in him, presumably. So that's lovely, John. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Which is why I think the self-reflection thing is so important that you attune to yourself and say, am I doing the right thing? Why am I doing it? And then the insp- inspiration thing of what if and why not? Yeah. Yeah, I love that quote from Bo Taplin. I have no idea who Bo Taplin is, but I found it um, <laughs> better than oops, but than a what if. So if you're going to try something, try it, fail quickly and learn from it and move on. Yeah. I did have that point when I decided to go to mime and physical theatre school. And I had this sort of crossroads moment when I said, what am I going to do with my life? I've been working for church and it wasn't a kind of long-term job and my <laughs> funnily enough my options were going to be a teacher I looked at accountancy I looked at financial PR and the other option was go to mime school <laughs> that's quite a crossroads to be at yeah but they were all you know viable options really yeah and uh, I you know said to people what should I do? And they were all going, oh, you should make your own choice. And you could see that inside they were going, go to mime school, go to mime school. We know you, this is what you should do. Yeah. And the thing that actually swung it for me at that time was I don't want to look back in 20 years and go, I could have been a mime artist Mm -hmm. when it was what I loved Mm -hmm. and I could have given it a go Mm -hmm. and I didn't because I went to become an accountant. So sorry to accountants. It wasn't my passion. Wasn't my passion. You know, that wasn't my passion. Mime and physical performance was. Mm. And I did it. And I'm so glad I did. Mm. Brilliant. So, John, how does someone connect with you if they want to bring some magic into their work life? Best thing to do is to go to my blog and you can get in touch with me via that, which is work-life-magic.com. Brilliant. Thank you so much, John. There's some great like tools that people mm. could adapt or adopt quite quickly and easily. You can do it as soon as you stop listening to this podcast, your next call, you think, how can I apply the magic formula? How can I be magic in this situation? And just that sprinkling of gold dust that you brought to us today. Oh, thank you. Thank you, John. Thanks very much, Susan. Thank you for listening today. And if you enjoyed our exploration of life beyond the numbers, please subscribe to this podcast and share it with others who might also be curious about their own life beyond the numbers.